Thank you, Michael. It's always good to be here at Ninth Street. I think this is the first time I've been here since the building's been painted, and it looks great. It's uh, coming up on the building, seeing the gray building really, really looks nice. Of course, it looks good in here as well. I'm trying to get myself connected here. I don't know if this is going to work or not, but we'll see while I'm getting started here. Uh, as Michael said, I am from Central Christian College of the Bible, and I'm uh, really happy uh, to, to call this church one of our partners. It's been uh, good for us through the years to see uh, the relationship between this church and Central, and I appreciate your care for biblical higher education uh, in the state of Missouri. I oftentimes get people as I travel who wonder why we have the privilege of having three Bible colleges in Missouri and other, college, uh, other states don't even have one. And I say, well, the reason we have three Bible colleges in Missouri is because we have people who are willing to give the funds necessary so we can have three Bible colleges in Missouri. And uh, you guys have been one of those uh, people who have made that happen. So thank you uh, so much for that. By the way, I am not picking up that uh, presentation on here. I don't know if I did something wrong or if I don't have a good connection. But, uh, oh, there it came. It just now popped up. That's great. So we're, we're trying things that, uh, you know, may or may not work, but we'll do our best with them. Also, I brought some newsletters from the college. They're out by the bulletins. You probably saw them when you came. And if you want to take one of those home with you just to see more about the ministry of Central Christian College of the Bible, I invite you to do that. And uh, if you want to talk more, I'll be up here afterwards. I'm not going to shake everyone's hand at the door just because of, uh, you know, everyone's need to, to try to, to avoid having germs spread. But I'll be up here if you want to talk after this is over. I'd love to talk to you more about Central. I was really excited to get the opportunity to talk about heaven today. And one of the reasons is that I, uh, I always enjoy watching television shows that do their best to depict a concept of heaven that's entertaining and relevant to this generation. And oftentimes what they do is they take technological advancements to describe a reality that takes current things that we do and sort of implements them into a character's life for eternity. And maybe you recognize some of these from different shows, but you may find yourself hoping that heaven is a little bit like some of these. You know, it's like a combination of Netflix and the Star Trek holodeck, where you can have highly personalized entertainment and heaven is what you want it to be for the rest of your life. I've seen that depicted. Sometimes people want to describe heaven as a, a food and drink of all flavors and any quantity, kind of like a you know, Coke freestyle machine where you just punch what you want, only you can do it with food or, or anything else that you'd like to enjoy. Uh, sometimes people see heaven as being filled with a digital assistant that can answer all your questions and now everything you ever wanted to know you can get the answer to. Just, just ask Siri and, and she will tell you. Or maybe you think of heaven as a, a collection of people's iPhones with photos and videos of all eternity from every angle and you just go back and watch them. You can see it all and you can, it's like you were there again. And uh, then maybe they think of heaven as, as something that's just filled with any available item that can be ordered, kind of like Amazon Prime other than it would be more like Amazon Instant. You say you want something, and there it is, just instantly. No credit card bill, no interest, it's just there. You know those things reflect how enjoyable and amazing our present day society is, but if we're not careful, that can affect and influence the way that we look at or even anticipate heaven. Sometimes we don't anticipate heaven enough because we think the things on earth are so great. But sometimes 
we realize just how much we need heaven. And 2020 has been one of those times. I think in the past six months, we've experienced sort of a firsthand tour through the book of Revelation. And I'm reading Revelation right now, and I just start recognizing things that look like what uh, was previewed in Revelation, such as, you know, sickness and death around the world from the COVID-19 pandemic. And then economic hardships and uncertainties in various states and counties, not knowing what's going to happen next. Some of the most enjoyable parts of our life get canceled because they just can't come forward. And those things that we look forward to for years and months in advance get postponed or canceled for good. And then we've got political divisions in an election year with people against each other on the basis of their political parties and positions and racial tensions that are disputing our history and policies. We've got rioting and looting and destruction in many cities and even Christians who are limited from meeting together and then arguing with each other over whether they should be meeting together or not. We've never needed to look at heaven more than we need it right now. And as you're going through Core 52 as a church, I'm glad that you're trying to build your Bible IQ. And today we get to skip to the end of the book, the way that it worked out. We can find how the Bible ends, which is a really nice parallel to the way that it starts in the garden. It begins in a garden, it ends in a city. Most of the Bible helps us get from one place to the other. The Garden of Eden was created by God to be a perfect place for the first humans to experience their life on this earth. The heavenly city we'll look at today is an eternal community God has prepared for humans to experience their lives after this earth. And looking at heaven is not just about going to the future. It's about helping us in the present. It's about helping us realize what we need to be like now. Because a vision of eternal community that God has made helps the church experience earthly community now. So turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation 21 and 22. And since this is a series about building your Bible IQ, I hope you'll uh, forgive me for going deep into these two chapters. I don't want to just skim it, but I want us to look at some details, some biblical imagery in here that I think helps us with our day-to-day -day life. Start in verses 1 and 2. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. I also saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. First thing I'm going to tell you is we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about the new earth. You could use your imagination and think about what our earth would look like if it were made new for eternity. We're going to focus on the new heaven, the city that is described there. God had promised both would come in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Isaiah 65, 17 says, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. And in the New Testament, 2 Peter 3, 13 says, based on his promise, we wait for a new heavens and a new earth. And that fulfills God's plan, both to create this new heavenly city and to redeem this earth. 
But we're not going to focus as much on the earth in this message because Revelation 21 and 22 doesn't focus on what the new earth is like. It focuses on the new heaven. So that's what we're going to spend our time. Seeing how God's plan is fulfilled here. And uh, even though heaven is something that's described in other places in the Bible, we don't get the level of detail and information as these two chapters give us. So that's why we're going to spend so much time on it. You know, anytime you would describe a community, people would ask you some questions if they've never been there to visit. I travel around and I tell them I'm from Moberly. They tell me things like, oh, well, um, you know, what's Moberly like? How big is it? What kind of people live there? What are the natural features? You know, is it in a river? Is it in the mountains? No, no, it's on a plain. What's the weather like? Is it mostly sunny? Is it lots of snow? Is it rainy all the time? Well, you know, Moberly's kind of all of the above, like a lot of Missouri. You get a little bit of all of it. What size is the community? What's the population? Is it a village or is it a metropolitan area? Well, it's not a village, but it's not a metropolitan area either. And what's the economy like? Is it, is it prosperous? What do people do? Or is there a lot of poverty? In these chapters, chapters 21 and 22, we get answers to some of those questions that help us understand the eternal community God has prepared for us in heaven. And let's look together at five ways that it's described. First, in heaven, we experience a holy community. Let's pick it up there. I read the holy city. It was described in verse 2. Pick it up at verse 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. We'll pause there for just a moment. When we think of a holy community, several clues in this passage describe the holiness of the community. It's hinted at when it's described as the new Jerusalem, which was known as the holy city, and the bride there in verse 2, which the Bible tells us is a holy and spotless bride for Christ. That phrase, New Jerusalem, in verse 2, makes us think about the nation of Israel. And bride makes us think about the church. And that phrase, holy city, seems to describe both, as is often the case in Revelation. The people of God in the Old Testament and the people of God in the New Testament are sort of mixed together as one identity. But verses 3 to 8 talk more about the eternal holy community. First of all, that God's dwelling is there, according to verse 3. Your translation may say God's tabernacle or tent. That is a word used for the tabernacle of the Old Testament, but it has to do with camping or spending time together. God is pitching his residence with us in that holy city. And that word with is used three times there. This is the fulfillment of the name of Jesus that he was never called. Remember, it was prophesied Jesus would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. You can read the Gospels. You'll never see a place that Jesus was addressed as Emmanuel because it wasn't his literal name. It was his nature. Jesus, for that time, was illustrating what it would be like for God to be with his people. And in heaven, we experience it forever. God with us, no limit, no end. And so heaven is holy because we're with the holy God 
who is called holy, holy, holy earlier in Revelation. That is echoed about him as well. In verse 4, we see God shepherding his people, removing all the stains and tears and blemishes and pains that this earth is characterized by. And that makes heaven a holy place. Because the things that would mar it, the things that would make it painful are not there. Grief, pain, death, those things are gone. Leaving the holy remains to be experienced. Everything's new according to verses 5 to 7. Let's, let's read that. The one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. Just like walking into a newly refurbished church or a new home. It, it's fresh. It's clean. It feels great to be there. He said, right, because these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give water as a gift to the thirsty from the spring of life. No, no stagnant water there. It's pure. Coming out of a spring, just like uh, you know what we try to drink in bottles that has been bottled at the spring, only this is constantly pure and abundant water there. The victor will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Everything there is holy. Everything there is equal. Everyone's a son. There's no difference between slave and free. There's no difference between male and female. There's no difference in race. All are seen as God's child. And so it's holy in its equality. And then in verse 8, we see one of the reasons that it's holy is because of who's missing. The cowards, unbelievers, vile, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. They're not in the holy city. They're in a different place. The opponents of God's people are no longer there. Now, cowards doesn't mean people who were shy or people who were a little bit uh, risk averse. A coward, John is talking about here, would refer to a person who wouldn't stand up for their faith. A person who might think they were a believer, but didn't believe in it enough to be honest about it when troubles came. Unbelievers and vile people had re rejected God's grace in their lives. Murderers and sexually immoral hadn't respected God's sanctity of life and of marriage. Sorcerers, idolaters, and liars tempted and threatened God's people with compromise. And so all those enemies are gone, leaving no one behind but God's holy people with him. And then the focus turns to the bride. It's not just a holy community we see. It's a beautiful community. Let's pick it up at verse 9 and get a better description of this bride. He repeats just a little and goes further. Then one of the seven angels who had held the seven bowls filled with the last seven plagues, that's earlier in the book, came and spoke with me. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. He then carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Now, this is a little bit confusing. We almost see the place of heaven and the people of the church equated. He says, I'm going to show you the bride, and then he shows them the city. Are they the same? Is heaven and the church one and the same? I don't know. I'm not sure. But I can say from what we see here, 
heaven is described as a beautiful community. And whether you're describing your community as the people who live in it or the things in which the people live, the appearance is important. And we see in this passage just how beautiful heaven is. By the way, this is a contrast. If you read earlier in the book of Revelation, chapter 17, you'd see the prostitute, the opposite of the bride, described as a, a disgusting creature that John goes on the top of a mountain to see and find out just how vile and evil that prostitute is. This is the antithesis of the prostitute. This is the bride, and it's a much more beautiful picture. First of all, she's on a great mountain, and she's radiant with stones. Let's look at verse 11. She was arrayed with God's glory. Her radiance was like a very precious stone, like a jasper stone bright as crystal. My daughter just got married a month and a half ago, and I'm familiar with that radiant look of a bride. Someone happy and joyful that her day of waiting has finally come. And that's how the city looks. The city is just brilliant in its radiance. And part of that is because the nature of all these jewels that, that were there. It says, um, verse 12, the city had a massive high wall with 12 gates. 12 angels were at the gates. The names of the 12 tribes of Israel's sons were inscribed on the gates. There's three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the, on the south, three on the west. You speak to, uh, skip to verse uh, 15. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city. Even the ruler is gold in heaven. I mean, that's how beautiful this place is. They measure it there, and then verse 18 says the building material was jasper. The city was pure gold like clear glass. And then verses 19 and follow list all these valuable jewels of which the city is made. In verse 21, there's 12 pearls there. Each individual gate is made of a single pearl. The broad street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. This whole place is breathtaking to imagine. And the beauty of that physical description matches the beauty of God's people. All colors, all tribes, all languages and races that's mentioned earlier in Revelation, and now it's repeated here that this beautiful variety is depicted in the city that John is being shown. And together, they make up the mosaic that is the image of God in Christ. Now, there's a special kind of beauty, special probably to us because we don't recognize it as such, in verses 12 to 18, where you see all these gates in four directions and three gates on each side and each uh, stone has a name in it, and uh, then it's measured. Verse 16, the city was 12,000 stadia. Its length, width, and height were equal. And you think, you know, what's all this about? Well, the beauty of a perfectly designed and measured city is something that ancient people really respected. I'm uh, listening right now to a book on tape called How the States Got Their Shapes. And it describes how when our country was growing and the different states were being added through territorial acquisition, the Congress was very uh, interested in keeping the states as proportionately sized and able to fit with perfect borders and boundaries. And yet the book shows how that didn't always work. Some of the borders didn't work because rivers aren't straight. And some of the boundaries weren't right because mountains changed their direction. And sometimes the surveyors just made mistakes. They thought... They were surveying a certain line and they were off by a few miles and those errors stayed. But in heaven, 
the space is perfectly divided and measured. Twelve gates perfectly divided into four directions. Twelve foundations, a perfect cube. By the way, the cube of this city is a model of the Holy of Holies, which was also a perfect cube. And all these twelves reflect the multiplication of two perfect numbers. Three for the heavenly number of the Trinity and four for the earthly number. Now, later we'll talk about the size, but for now, just think about the precision and the beauty that is reflected there. It's pure gold, a perfect cube, remarkably diverse, bringing every color and material imaginable to be beautiful. We could keep going about the beauty of heaven, but we also need to see that it's a perfect community. Just as you might describe a community with ideal weather as being perfect, heaven has ideal conditions, ideal weather for living there. Let's pick it up back at chapter 21, verse 1, which I kind of overlooked this part of the verse. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. Now you think about that sea no longer existed and wonder, why is that good? I mean, a lot of us like going to the lake, a lot of us like to fish, and seas provide a very important function on our earth. But if you think about it, the sea was made to divide people, and it happened after the fall, after the flood, the, the world used to be one landmass, and then it broke apart. And the seas were placed there on purpose to divide the people. And through that history, seas have been dangerous from navigation, Paul had several shipwrecks, just as an illustration of that. And, of course, flooding, which we have seen in locations that are close to coastlines or um, lakes or things like that. And that's gone. No more flooding, no more fear of that kind of navigation, which the ancient people had. Then when you skip ahead to verse 22, you see some more things that talk about the beautiful conditions of heaven. I did not see a sanctuary in it. Because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its sanctuary. So you might think of uh, finding a way to church, finding the way to the temple if you were Jewish. But that's not necessary in heaven because everywhere is church. Everywhere is a place that can be worshipped because God and the Lamb are everywhere. You don't need a sanctuary to worship in there. Verse 23 says, The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because God's glory illuminates it and its lamp is the Lamb. Now, the sun and the moon there is not just about light coming from God, although that's described, but without a sun and moon, there's no shadows. There's no limitations of time. There's no rival gods. You realize that in this time period that the Bible is written, the gods that were often worshipped were gods of the sun and the moon. We found somewhere, I read, 84 different gods worshipped in biblical times that had to do with either a sun god or a moon god. So they were rivals to the real god. And in heaven, those are no longer there. They are not worshipped. They're not in power. They're not in fear of those people. Those things are gone. Verse 25 says it's never night there. Each day its gates will never close because it will never be night. The scripture tells us that deeds that are evil take place in the darkness. And those things don't happen in heaven because it's never night. There's no demons, no robbers, no sorcery, no mayhem associated with after dark. And then verse 27, nothing profane 
will ever enter it. No one who does what is vile or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. Items that corrupt the perfection of God can't be there. God's people are made perfect by Christ and nothing can spoil this perfect community. So our, our eternal home of heaven is holy, it's beautiful, it's perfect, but it's also massive. Let's take a look back at verse 12. I read this earlier. The city had a massive high wall. That's what my translation says. I love that translation, though. It's just the Greek word mega, which is used in lots of other places as well. Later in verse 17, we find out this wall is 144 cubits thick, which would be about 216 feet. Now, that's a big wall. That's a big wall deep. But that is to show the security and safety of this city. The fence around it is so big that if there were any enemies that tried to attack it, they could never succeed because the wall is so great. But nobody's going to attack it because by this time all the enemies of God, God have been punished anyway. The prosperity and safety of an ancient city were always judged by the nature of its wall, but they were also judged by its size. And when you look at verse 16 you see the size of the city. He measured it with a rod at 12,000 stadia. That's what my translation says. In the footnote, mine says about 1,400 miles. Yours might say 1,500 or 1,600 miles, depending on how your translation interpreted stadia. Now, I don't want to say that heaven can be literally sized because I think this is obviously a symbolic number, but it's also important for us to get a sense of the scale of this place by thinking of it in human terms. So let's think of how big a city is that's 1,400 miles square, using a regular urban population density, not overcrowded and not uncomfortable. A 1,400-mile square city could hold 400 million residents minimum, more than that if you wanted to get a little more cozy, but 400 million residents easily. Now, that seems like a lot to me. Uh, that's more than the population of the entire United States. But the fact is, this city has even more capacity than that. Because think of it, it's a cube 1,400 or 1,500 miles tall as well. So what does that mean? Well, if you look at our Earth, from ground level to the end of the atmosphere is 100 miles. That involves the troposphere, stratosphere, and mesosphere. That's where all of our weather happens. That's where planes can fly and other things that can be in the air. So imagine that this cube maybe has 14 or 15 layers to it. So it's not just the base level, but it's one, two, three, four, five, all the way up to 15 layers of cities the same size, which would give you room for 6 billion people or more. Now, 6 billion people is more than had ever lived at the time that the book of Revelation was written. By now, experts estimate that about 15 billion people have lived in the history of the earth, give or take a couple. And there may have been another 10 billion unborn children through miscarriage and abortion. So maybe 25 billion humans in the history of the world, 6 billion of them could easily fit in this city. And one more thing about the scale, and I just love this in verse 21. The 12 gates are 12 pearls. Each individual gate was made of a single pearl. I would love to see the oyster that made that pearl. I mean, you're talking about a pearl 216 feet deep to be the gate and at least that big wide as well. 
It's a massive place, which gives us a glimpse to the enormity of God. Well, there's one more thing we need to see here, and that's that it is an abundant community. Like the most prosperous community you could think of, there are abundant resources, jobs for everyone, no poverty, no one goes hungry, everything you need is there. Let's look at chapter 22 as we wrap this description of heaven up, where it describes the abundance of heaven. He showed me the river of living water, sparkling like crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the broad street of the city. The tree of life was on both sides of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His slaves will serve Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. Night will no longer exist. People will not need lamplight or sunlight because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. That phrase of living water coming down from the throne flowing through the entire city is a repeat of a theme throughout Scripture that God is going to provide water, one of the most important elements of life, with no limits on it. Maybe this river is a vertical river that starts at the top and flows down through all those layers and then spreads out through the, through the city streets. I'm not sure. In Scripture, living water refers to abundant spiritual life in Joel 3.18. It refers to healing water in Ezekiel 47. And it even refers to the Holy Spirit in John 7, verses 38 and 39. Maybe this is the permeation of the Holy Spirit through the city, through this water that is being distributed. A successful city had to have its own water source, and the holy city has a river and springs in abundance. No shortage of water there. And that helps water the tree of life described there in verse 2. We're going back to the garden, right, where the tree of life existed, but mankind was shut off from access after sin. The tree of life is back. And it's so big that it grows on both sides of this massive river. And it comes together to produce 12 different kinds of fruit. I think that means that all 12 months of the year, this tree is in production. Its fruit is good for eating. Its leaves are good for medicine. Maybe these leaves are what take away the pain and the scars, the hurts that we experienced on this earth. Maybe every time we need a little bit of comfort in heaven, we use those leaves as a medicine that can help us to feel better. And then we see the image of the garden developed further when you see that people are tending to this tree. The slaves are serving him there. We are working in heaven, but without a curse. The curse of the garden is gone, which means the work we were created to do, taking care of God's garden, can be done without frustration. We never get tired. Our labor always pays a dividend. When the curse is removed, the serpent is no longer there to tempt. The woman is no longer experiencing pain. The ground is no longer bearing thorns and thistles. And the man is no longer sweating, as was promised in Genesis. Now we get to cultivate the ground and enjoy the animals and enjoy God's presence and be perfectly fruitful there with an abundance of light, meaning things can grow. It's never 
dark, all the energy we need is available. And most abundant of all, verse 5, is time. We reign forever and ever. Unlike the communities of this earth that rise and fall and kingdoms on this world that come to an end, along with our lives that are always measured, God has established a community of abundant time with no end. You see, this eternal community that we've looked at in Revelation is a place we should all want to be part of. And it's not about amazing technology or personal pleasures. It's about so much more. A holy community means that God's people are like him. They are unaffected by the evil forces and painful experiences that characterize their earthly lives. A beautiful community means that God's people are adorned in his holiness. We're diverse and proportionately measured in symbolic equality. A, a perfect community means that God's people are not limited by division. There is no physical place that we are cut off from or rival deities or corrupt influences. A massive community means that God's people are part of a large group and there's plenty of room to join. The gates are always open for more to enter. And an abundant community means there's spiritual nourishment, there's healing, there's work for everyone. It never ends and it never lacks for resources. Now here's our challenge. On our path to be part of the eternal community of heaven, we have a chance to bring as much heaven as possible to our local church. We get to practice for eternal community in the earthly community of the church. We cannot change the entire world while we're alive on this earth, but we can change the church. And as we saw throughout Revelation 21 and 22, it's about the church. The holy city is us, but we don't have to wait until heaven to be God's holy city. We are his new Jerusalem, his bride, his people right now. So let me challenge you today to work towards the kind of community in this church that would make people want to join you in heaven. The community of the church is always under attack by Satan. It is always threatened by sin. And some people are one painful experience away from leaving the church because no one reached out to them to bring them back. Some people are one thoughtless comment away from hurting someone so much that they would never want to come back to the church. It's always imperfect. Many people today are saying that the church isn't necessary. You can have church on Facebook or Zoom, and, and if that's all you can do, that's great. But the kind of community we get in the church prepares us for the eternal community that God offers. I know that the church is always an imperfect community on this earth. Every church has at least one problem. Some of them have many. It takes a huge investment to be part of the earthly community of church. There's a risk of being hurt, and I have seen some people burned and others fatally wounded by their church. There are times that it would be 
far easier to withdraw and do your own thing. And sometimes that's all you can do as well. But when the limitations of this earthly community of church are discouraging, that's when looking to heaven gives us what we need. That's when we need to see the promises of eternal community and ask ourselves, could we make the church today a little bit more like that? Could we make what we see to be true in heaven true on earth by making a church that's more, that's more holy, that's more beautiful, that's more perfect, that's more massive, that's more abundant? God has made us to be the bride of Christ, not only for eternity, but right now. And that comes to us who are in Christ. I want to ask today, if you're part of the body of Christ, which is his bride, and if so, what you're doing to make the church on earth look more like the church in heaven, so that someday we can be there and enjoy that together. And if you're not part of the church today, if you've not joined the bride of Christ by faith in baptism, to be part of his people, wouldn't you want to be part of something like that? Wouldn't you want to know that for eternity you can be part of a holy city? It may not be perfect on this earth. It can't be really, but it can be for eternity and you can be part of it. Heaven is built by God for his people. That's you and me. And if you want to choose today to be part of that community, you can be with him in heaven for eternity. Let's pray. God, we thank you for showing us heaven for giving us that glimpse of glory that we need. It's the only way that we have a chance to spend eternity with you is to be there. And we thank you that right now we can be part of that as well. That we can be part of that group, the bride, that you are redeeming and making holy. And God, today I ask that you will help this church and others to be more like your son Jesus. And for those who are not in Christ, to see him beyond the noise, beyond the distractions, as the one worth focusing on. Help us to grow in ways that we can be more like him for the benefit of others and for the glory of eternity. In Christ's name we pray.